This is Just Calm Down with John Shrek. Welcome back to Just Calm Down. Welcome back. Is it your first time here? I hope so. Wow. A new listener? How nice of you to join us. I just got back from a walk with the dog at dusk. Hands are still cold. That's how fresh it is. Just walked in. Hands cold. And not just because of poor circulation. No, it's it's chilly outside. It's colder outside than one would believe about a city like Atlanta, which my partner, you know, she grew up here. That's why we came back here. And uh, she said, it's not, it doesn't stay as warm as you think. It's like, okay, well, you haven't lived here in over a decade. You know, there, that's 10 years of global warming that you've got to take into consideration. So yeah, I mean, it, it does get chilly at night. It's gotten in the 20s a few times. Yeah. Uh, at night, but you know, not too bad, no snow. So that's real interesting stuff to open up with the weather. I've been having, you know, Zoom calls for the day job, and literally that's what we talk. That's what I talk about the weather. That's the stage of uh, lockdown that we're in, I guess. And I'm not really locked down. I'm in Georgia. There's no rules, just right. And uh, it's made me very uncomfortable in a few situations. But uh, before I get to that, I wanted to talk about some something I started, started thinking about when I was on the walk with the dog, which is that uh, I, you know, I I know why pyramid schemes are illegal, um, but because they're bad. But like, how is a pyramid scheme really different than any other company in the world? You know, it's like the person on top does the most desirable job for the most part, and they get paid the most, like the easiest job. Maybe not easiest, but it's the job that everybody wishes they had. You know, you're the boss. You don't. You can. You don't have to do anything if you don't want. You're. That's literally why you hire people. So they do the job for you, and you make the money. <laughs> the people at the bottom, you know, they're doing the least desirable job, and uh, they're getting paid the least. And the person on top gets that money. And that's like, how's that different from a pyramid scheme? <laughs> a pyramid scheme because like you have to buy in to the company, and that's why it's illegal. It's like, I mean, there's companies where you have to buy the damn uniform before your first day of work. It's like, buy the uniform. I'll wear whatever I want. What are you talking about? Give me the uniform or I'm showing up in khakis. That's the uniform? Damn it. That's what I get for dr- dressing like uh, like a store employee, I guess. <sighs> uh, that, so that's that's what I wanted to say. Um, but I keep going out. I keep going out to stores. <laughs> I don't keep going out. I've gone to a few different places here or in the Atlanta metro area. Uh, I, went to, I went to Lenox Mall on Friday night like 6 p.m. I shouldn't have waited to that time. That's 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 the time to go to the mall it's during lockdown right before Christmas. Are you kidding me? I mean, there's no law lo- again, no lockdown, but you know, people are still kind of not doing as much, but you know, I had to make an exchange at the Banana Republic and that kind of shit's really important to me. Okay. I needed, they're not the ones that I'm wearing, but they're very nice joggers made in sweatshop conditions probably, but you know what? What isn't? All of this... Ex- you can only hear you can only hear this podcast right now because of a whole lot <laughs> of sweatshop labor. Sorry, sorry to bring it up. Okay, just calm down. It's going to be okay. Should I start doing? Should I start doing that more in the podcast? Just calm down. I got You got to lean into it. Why? Why do I have that as the name if it's not even going to be the tagline? I don't even. I don't even. I don't use it. I never use it. <laughs> so I go to Lenox Mall and uh, it's it's like the boo. It's the bougie of bouge malls. Okay. It is, uh, it's, it's high end. They got, they got like a Cartier, Cartier. I don't know how it's pronounced. So they got like, uh, they've got the Apple store and there's not a lot of those, you know, there's not a lot of Apple stores in the world. So the fact that this mall has an Apple store is like 
bougie. Uh, and there's there's other high end places, you know, the Gap. Um, uh, I think there was a Hot Topic, maybe a Spencer's Gift. So like the highest end type of mall. But no, it was real nice, and I'm walk I'm walking around, but I'm immediately like on edge because. A lot of people wearing masks, okay? There's no mask mandate in Georgia, but there's most a lot of people wear masks, okay? But uh, a lot of people don't. Uh, a lot of people don't. They've either got... There's some people walking around, no masks at all. <laughs> not around their neck, not in their ear, not in their pocket. And they're walking around the concourse of the mall like it's outdoors. Like people are coming out of shops, ripping that mask off immediately. <laughs> like what? What mentality have we allowed? Like that is that has been just prevalent since they started reopening restaurants and bars and shit at least in ohio like in may the standard is you sit down and you can take your mask off and that's safe totally safe to have your mask off and talk for a couple hours if you'd like as you're basking in it with people that you don't live in and strangers and uh but sitting sitting there's fine as long as you're sitting there not moving you know you go to the bathroom you put that mask on good it's fine uh insane to me. So that 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 has devolved into in the store, mask on, outside of the store, mask off, no mask, walk around. And there were quite a few people. I saw, I walked by one of those places where people are sitting around and uh, just all ma- like 20 people sitting on benches and shit, masks off, just chilling. Like what, what is this? How, how are you not spreading? And there's, it's, it's dense. There's a lot of people in the mall. And uh, it's uncomfortable. So, of course, I made my exchange. I'm not going to drive all that way and risk COVID and not get my job done. But uh, that was, I hated it so much. And uh, I tried to go to an outdoor art. I tried to go to an outdoor art market. Um, you know, local vendors try to get some some last minute Christmas gifts for my family at home. Ship it over. You know, hey, got locally bought. Cool. Um, it was at a brewery and it was outdoors, but... I got there and uh, it's a brewery. So people are standing around drinking, no masks on, of course. Like you, you wouldn't even really expect it there. But I showed up anyways like an asshole. Literally, I was there for like two minutes, spent, you know, 40 minutes in the car total just to uh, get out, uh, walk around and then go right back in. <laughs> so uh, that was not, that was not, I don't know why I keep going out is the point that I'm trying to make because it's spiking. I mean, they just started giving out the first, pan- the, the first vaccinations today. That's exciting. Or yesterday, whenever it was. It doesn't matter because we're never going to get one because we're anti-vaxxers in this house. And uh, yeah, so I, that's been that's been the, the entirety of my existence, which I guess is better than some folks who are locked down and not going anywhere, you know, um, or, or the people, you know, I, I do like to go out to the, I, I feel guilty for going out to the shops, but you know what, everyone else that I'm living with is going out to the stores and, and, and doing certain things. So whatever, you know, solidarity with the workers at Banana Republic, you know, we gotta, you know, they're there, they gotta be there, and me not going there is not gonna close it down, so show some solidarity with the workers, be polite, try to not be uh, crazy customers, you know, try to make their day by doing nothing, just by being a decent human and not freaking out because someone asked me to wear a mask. Didn't you, I do tend to feel like I'm going a little bit insane. Like I'm not doing the, the worst, but I'm not doing, I'm not doing great. You know, this is, it's, it's weird. I, I do, uh, I do value the minimal social interaction that I get. Like when I go out to the, to the store, you know, when I went to that brewery, a guy stopped, I, mean, I was wearing a Cincinnati brewery shirt, mad tree. And I also had my Chappelle mask on because I mean, I paid all that money for the show. It was a great show, but I paid that money for the mask. Let's wear the damn mask. I don't wear it that often. But I went and saw Chappelle over the summer, one of those day camp shows. Day camp? 
whatever, that outdoor thing he was doing. And it was awesome. But uh, so I was wearing the masks. I'm like, you know what? I'm in Atlanta. Might as well flex a little bit, right? I don't get to go out at all. You know, just go, going to the farmer's market is that I get dressed up because that's the only thing I'm going to. Uh, and then interact with some people. But the guy, I was someone that was walking around, no mask. So again, it freaked me out. I was there for two minutes. This guy stopped me at that, uh, that holiday market. He's like, hey, man, hope it's okay for me to say. I'm going to be offended. Whatever comes next after that is I hope it's okay for me to say. I was like, did I wear a burning shirt or did I wear something that's going to make somebody say something messed up? No. He's like, love the shirt, love the mask even more. I was like, hell yeah. Um, and that was the highlight of my week, <laughs> being simultaneously terrified that this guy's going to give me COVID and also psyched that he uh, appreciated the fact that I put on two things to start a conversation with someone exactly like him. Talking about my day, for God's sake, and, and, I'm, and I'm not making it funny. That's the, that's the part that I think is the egregious thing is that I think somebody wants to just listen to me journal via vocals, just think out loud and not try to make it funny, you know, and uh, I guess I could try, but uh, that would require some sort of effort on my part. And it's hard to do. I've, I feel like I've been doing so much nothing for so long that it's hard to expound any effort on anything, you know, no live shows coming up. So I don't feel pressured to uh, write any comedy. Uh, but I did just sign up for a sitcom pilot writing class via Zoom, via, you know, some comedians based in Atlanta running a, running a class. So I'm going to do that. And we'll see how that goes. So if podcast, the sitcom comes out in 2022, you heard it first, folks. You heard it right here. Podcast, the sitcom. Now that, now, now that I'm thinking about it, it feels like I'm uh, ripping off the podcast podcast the Ride, a theme park podcast that I listen to. Uh, I do have interests outside of uh, insufferable political shit. I love roller coasters and theme parks. Uh, I have since I was a child, and uh, that's the hint to any of my passwords. So if you'd like to steal my identity, log into my Google account, uh, find out everything about, find out my search history, obviously, bookmarks, anything like that, uh, you need a hint on my you know my password uh or getting it unlocked, you know, password hints, roller coasters, anyways, but uh, big news today, what the first piece of big news today is that Senator Nina Turner of Ohio, former Bernie co-chair, Senator Nina Turner running for Congress, that's right, Marsha Judd, Marsha Fudge, what a name, I mean, that's that sounds like a name from a Road Dahl book, right? That's the lost character from Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, Marsha Fudge. That's Willy Wonka's wife, for God's sake, uh, who is a, a congresswoman out of uh, the Cl uh, Cleveland, one of the districts that surrounds Cleveland. And she got tapped for uh, HUD secretary, I think. So that means her seat in the House is open. And then Senator Nina Turner has announced that she is going to fill that seat, or she's going to run to. There will be a special election, I think, in uh, in early 2021, and that's huge. I mean, she's already, you know, the, the announcement happened a couple hours ago, and she's already, you know, being endorsed by all of these big progressive uh, names. What what that translates to in terms of votes, I really don't know. But, I, you know, Cleveland's a pretty progressive district, and I think if she is able to successfully voice her platform, Medicare for all, Green New Deal, you know, universal basic income, everything that Bernie ran on, if she's able to effectively and without interference uh, 
communicate that to the district. Uh, I think she is going to be any of any Democrat that would run that is running against her. I think the other two people who have thrown their names is in our Democrats as well. You know, party candidates who will get a lot of super PAC money uh, help. Uh, I, I donated to her campaign today. I haven't made any political donations since Bernie dropped out. And this is the first one. So uh, very, I'm very excited about that. That's, I mean, that's huge. You know, most, I mean, most people I think in the Bernie camp assumed she is who he would have tapped for VP. And so the fact that it's within a couple of months, we could be talking about Congresswoman Nina Turner joining the squad. Uh, Incredible, incredible. It's going to be an amazing contrast of somebody who is pushing Medicare for like saying Medicare for all Green New Deal and not backing off of the Democratic Socialist label. And, you know, quite unlike the candidates here in Georgia who are who are unfortunately backing off of all of that stuff, uh, whether or not that's effective. Again, I don't know. I I wish that they would just do it, though, Um, especially Warnock. I think he I do. I do believe that he is more radical than than he purports. And it's just it's just so annoying to me. I think I said this exact same thing, but it's annoying to me that that Kelly Leffler is not referred to as a radical, even though she is capitalism pushed to its most radical end. Like literally, uh, she is a radical, and and so is David Perdue. So are I mean, so are most Republicans, but especially these two people who who are at the forefront of that scandal of selling off all of those stocks right before COVID happened, as as tens of millions of people are about to lose their jobs, they're making tens of millions of dollars by selling fucking stocks that they knew were going to tank because of COVID. Uh, it's crazy. It's it's crazy that those two people can be in the same. I mean, you know, Kelly Leffler wasn't elected. Again, I feel like I'm treading on a bunch of stuff that I already just talked about on the last episode, but it is, it's worth repeating because I, it, it, I am I am very disaffected by electoral politics. It's very it's all very frustrating, um, which is rich for me to be saying uh, as someone who's been so lightly involved for such a short amount of time. I understand that, but I whatever. I mean, just be, if I feel this way, other people probably do too. But I am genuinely excited to vote in this election, uh, even even though the two candidates leave a lot to be desired. Um, they, d- despite not saying the buzzwords that you want them to, you know, here, here's, here's to to be fair. Okay. To be fair, uh, definitely continue pushing them to be using these, these phrases, but like also they are at the very least, they're not backing away from the ideologies, just the words. John Ossoff continues to tweet healthcare is a human right. Uh, and they refer to more affordable, more affordable healthcare or just affordable healthcare, which is, which is code for, we're not going to give you universal health care, but they're at least saying things like healthcare is a human right and saying, you know, we need an infrastructure and jobs guarantee that is, you know, sustainable, you know, environmentally. Like that's literally the Green New Deal. You're pushing the Green New Deal without saying it. Just say it, but also credit for clearly su- at least supporting it. Um, I don't know that maybe that's me giving somebody, you know, giving them too much credit. I understand. I, I'm, I'm sure some people would be frustrated for me to be saying that, but whatever. This is my show. Do your own damn show, all right? Um, so yeah, excited for that. Still waiting. I I, I purchased a Warnock sign and sticker uh, because I wanted to. I don't know. These campaigns do not need money. They've got plenty of money from from these corporate packs, unfortunately, um, and just every dollar that would be getting donated around to different 
Democrat related things uh, are getting pushed into these campaigns. So they don't need the money. But I did want to show a little bit of solidarity with Warnock. So I bought his uh, his sign and his sticker and I bought them two weeks ago and they shipped. They're shipping from Texas. They are coming from Texas, and they are still in Texas. They shipped a week. Uh, what's today? It's over a week ago from Texas, and it's still in Texas. I do not have any faith that that's going to show up by now. And also, why is it not being produced in Georgia? I'm sure there's a good reason for it, but it is strange. Like, why? Why don't don't you be bringing jobs to Georgia? But do the job in Georgia. But you know, maybe there's no uh, available union house in Georgia at this time, and they needed a union. Uh, you know, production company. So I'm sure there's a reason, but it's never going to show up. Um, and then there was a there was a honking wave down the street on the corner uh, for both candidates, and they were giving out signs. I grabbed an Ossoff one. Uh, eh, whatever. It's for the it's for the yard. It's for the house. You know, it's I'm not the only one here that votes, and I am going to vote for him. So whatever. So I got that one. Didn't grab a Warnock one. I didn't want to take from their supply, and I was like, I already bought one, so it's on the way. And then I get the shipping update today, and it's like. Is it ever going to show up? Is it ever going to show up? Uh, also, something I've noticed walking around here, you know, we're in a uh, fairly uh, a fairly well-to-do suburb. Now, I wouldn't say the most of most, but it's not it's not like Buckhead where where that bougie mall is. But it's it's nice. Uh, mo- you know, primarily white, I'd say, and uh, no Warnock signs anywhere at all. None. I haven't seen one in any yard. Uh, plenty of Ossoff signs. So that's I don't know what that speaks to, uh, but you know. It could be that that Warnock just doesn't have as much of uh, not have much of an output. You know, I haven't seen his I haven't seen his signs available to be picked up either. So maybe it's that. Maybe it's something else. I don't know. But I am interested to see how the whole thing shakes out. Like if there will be any disparity between the two candidates. If there's people who vote for Warnock but not Ossoff, or or vice versa. I I don't know. That would be crazy. If one of them wins and the other doesn't, that would I mean that wouldn't be good. Uh, but that would be crazy. Ah, I wanted to talk about Katie Porter, Representative Katie Porter from where? What state is Katie Porter from? California, of course. Where else would she be from? Uh, Katie Porter's great. She, I think she was a Warren Stan, so you know that's a little bit of a. But she's, I mean, she's legit. She does the damn work, dude. I I really like her. Um, and she she make she causes great moments in Congress. If you haven't, if you don't know who I'm talking about, she's the one that does the whiteboard and she uh she dunks on all the CEOs and stuff, uh, in the in the hearings and, and and all that. She's great. And she posted this tweet thread. It was last week, but it was uh it was telling you know. <laughs> Congress cannot get through a stimulus bill, if you can believe that. Uh, they can't get through a second stimulus bill nine months after the last one. It's been nine months, and I seem to remember certain uh, people like named, like I don't know, Nancy Pelosi, for instance, um, saying that this first stimulus is just the first one, and there will be another one coming. Like it's, 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 we're, we're accepting a smaller one because another one's coming. Uh, <laughs> where is it? There's not one coming. And the bill keeps getting smaller and smaller as they toss it back and forth. Smaller, smaller, smaller. No stimulus for the people. Um, protections for corporations so that they cannot get sued by their employees or customers or anybody uh, for putting them in dangerous work conditions as it relates to COVID. But uh, no, any stimulus for those work? No, 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 no. That's not how this works. That's not how this works. The money is for the rich. We need to get more. Who is it? Bill Gates, Warren Buffett. Jeff Bezos, who have profited by the 
hundreds of millions. I'm not certain. Perhaps billions. I don't know. I don't know the number. So why don't I look it up? I have my damn computer in front of me. Oh, here it is. I just looked it up and it's from Forbes, which is pretty right wing, right? Pretty right. A pro corporate. I'll tell you that. America's three richest people are now positioned to pay zero state income tax. And that's Elon Musk, Jeff Bezos, Bezos, and <laughs> Bill Gates, the benevolent billionaire, the, the billionaire that everybody loves. I mean, does anybody hate Bill Gates besides the people that think he's trying to inject them with a microchip or something? I don't know. He just seems so nice, right? I guess because the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, right? And he does the thing with the toilets. That's what people have tried to talk shit to me about and say, he's a good billionaire, okay? He does toilet things. Something about toilet water. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's a form. No, zero, zero state income tax. Should I read this? I don't know. They're using a lot of stock symbols, and I don't know what that means. Tesla, a CEO, te let's just, let me just, so they're not going to be paying any state income taxes, but that doesn't tell me how much they made during this time. Here's Business Insider. From March to June 2020, Amazon founder Jeff Bezos saw his wealth rise by an estimated $48 billion. <laughs> oh, the founder of video conferencing platform Zoom grew his nest egg by over $2.5 billion. And former Microsoft CEO Steve Ballmer, so not Gates, but I'm sure he's doing the same. That guy's net worth increased by $15.7 billion. Tens of billions of dollars while people lose their health care and die in the streets and in the hospital. Cool. System works. The system works, folks. Tens of millions unemployed. Handful of guys. We all know their names. We hear about them all the time. Not only are they doing great, they're profiting more than they ever have. Almost like the system was set up exactly so that that would happen. <laughs> Hard not to be a conspiracy theorist when reality is a, cons is a constant conspiracy of, of the capitalist versus us. Can we get back to Katie Porter for Christ's sake? Why did what did I why did I get derailed? Katie Porter is what I was supposed to be talking about. So let's talk about Katie Porter. Oh yes, that's how I got derailed. We were talking, we, you and I, me and myself in the camera, me in the camera, little uh, the screen, talking to myself, talking to the mice in the walls, to my dog in the other room. I know he can hear my voice. You're a good boy. Why does why does talking to dogs turn you into an absolute just blathering idiot? I mean, I love it. I love it. But just to say nothing, just nothing, just like it's like we're reverting to our primate urge to just make noise. Maybe that's maybe that's what the Pentecostals got right. You know, speaking in tongues, they're just they're just getting in touch with their primal self of just like, yeah, it's fun. It's fun to do in a microphone. I thought I would be horrified to do that. You know, I'm very self-conscious about things and if i listen back to that maybe i maybe i'll delete it i won't it was fun and i don't care how it sounded see i'm growing i'm growing as a as a as a absolute psycho whatever whatever's going on up there katie porter on message okay stimulus bill it's getting passed around it's not passing it's not gonna it's not gonna pass there's not gonna be a stimulus bernie says they're not gonna leave washington until there's a stimulus i don't see any movement in that direction it's maddening it just feels like every day is the same. Nothing's, you know, Trump's mad. He's mad that he lost and he's not acknowledging the fact that he lost. That's every day. This thing is every day. Just like it's what's happening. I feel like th this is almost things seem crazy, but this is almost the calm before the storm because people are about to be kick getting kicked out of their houses. And like, you know, what what kind what kind of uh, show is Trump going to put on in January when he's leaving office? Like January could be absolutely insane so enjoy this while it lasts folks 
buckle up because it's about to get bumpy. Katie Porter, okay, she was talking some, she's not even, she's not talking shit, but let's say she's talking shit to Mitch McConnell because fuck Mitch McConnell. Fuck Mitch McConnell. Katie Porter, here's a tweet thread. I won't provide any context, just gonna read it and put it up on my shoulder there. When I came to Congress, I knew I had a responsibility to pull back the curtain for the American people and expose corruption in real time. So I'm filling you in on Senator McConnell's attempt over the last eight days to tank a bipartisan COVID, COVID, we say COVID in this house, Mary COVID, star of COVID, bipartisan COVID relief bill. And it's a thread. She said it right there, thread, Katie Porter thread, buckle up, get your whiteboards ready, it's a Katie Porter thread. You may have heard that Democrats and Republicans have agreed upon spending $900 billion to fund another round of small business loans, support hospitals and essential workers, and help the 10 million people who lost their jobs through no fault of their own. Everyone at the negotiating table, including Senate Republicans, has agreed to a compromise, except one. Mitch McConnell is refusing to bring it to the floor unless it wipes away all COVID-related lawsuits filed that allege injury or death due to corporate negligence, which is what I just mentioned. These lawsuits represent the worst of the worst examples of disregard for human life. Cases filed on behalf of nursing home patients and grocery store workers who died because of the company in charge of keeping them safe prioritized cutting costs over protecting them. Sorry, I'm not taking breaths properly. I'm getting uh, winded just, uh, you know, just saying this and reading it. And uh, wow, the name McConnell who said that, wait, I said that wrong. The same McConnell, who said that President Trump is 100% within his rights to pursue, to pursue baseless lawsuits alleging election fraud, is now refusing to pass urgently needed relief unless it strips those same rights from the most vulnerable among us. This must be exposed. Um, I mean, there's been a lot of politicians lately, Democrat and Republican, who are saying the quiet part out loud, which usually means something bad, saying the quiet part out loud, saying... um. But it's usually said in a in a negative context, you know. Um, damn, I wish I I wish I could think of one, and I can't think of one because it's such an it's it's so important. This podcast is so important, and it's important for me to get to the facts and for me to get the facts right. And um, oh no, my time check five minutes remaining for Twitter.com today. I'm almost locked out, moments away from having to plug in my password so I can get 15 more minutes on my uh, on my time limiter app. Not not an effective tool for me. I just keep plugging in. Plugging in the password, getting 15 more minutes. You've reached your limit on Twitter. You've, you've seen enough Twitter for the day. Nope, 15 more. Give me 15 more. Just 15 more, baby. 15 more. I just need it. Inject it right in there. But here, Katie Porter saying, saying the part out loud. She's calling out Mitch McConnell. What, what, is, what is this government system that can be, that can be held up by one, by one guy? I tried putting up this arm and no one could see it. One guy. I know this, I know we've been talking about this for a while, but like how, why, why are we allowing this to continue happening? Why are we not taking drastic measures to get this guy out of the way? Like, why are they not changing the rules and make, like get, he has, how can one person do this? How is this? A, it, I mean, it's not, we, we're, this is not a functioning system, not a functioning society. You know, uh, it's not functioning. Nothing has brought, nothing has made that more obvious than, than the way that we've handled COVID. Um, and so how, how, how do we keep, how does this continue to be a thing? And the number keeps going lower and lower because, because, you know, the Democrats, the Democrats keep tr trying. I don't even know in good faith to work with him and appease him. It's like, you're not going to appease him until you get rid of everything that helps people and only include things that help corporations. That's it. 
So how about you tr- just try something? I don't, wh- I don't know. What else is there to even try? I don't even know what else there is. But like, what what a what a more potent way to see how ineffectual effectual most of these Dems are that that they can't they can't do this. They can't overcome one guy. But anyways, so at least there's there's Bernie and there's this guy named Josh Hawley from Iowa, Missouri. We'll find out where he's from, but he's a he's a he's a repub. This is the this is really the only insistence on a congressional level that I've seen of like give people money now or we're not going home for Christmas, which is quite a threat, especially coming from the Jewish senator from Vermont, you know. It's like Christmas is canceled unless we give everyone $1200. We have more hunger in America today than at any time in the modern history of this country. This pandemic has been a disaster, not only from a public health perspective, but from an economic perspective. And economists tell us that working families today are in worse shape right now than any time since the Great Depression. And it's not just the children in America, the richest country on earth, are going hungry. It's you have millions and millions of families who are scared to death that they're going to be evicted from their homes and join the half a million people in America who are already homeless. We have half of our population working day to day, living paycheck to paycheck, trying to survive. This Congress must address the economic emergency facing the American people. We cannot go back to our families during the Christmas holidays while tens of millions of families are suffering. They are looking toward us and their government, their government to provide the emergency assistance that they need. Yesterday, Senator Hawley and I introduced a very simple amendment not a radical idea. In fact, we're way, way behind what other countries around the world are doing to protect their workers. All that we want to do is to once again provide the same benefits that were provided in the CARES bill that unanimously, unanimously, Democrats, Republicans, President Trump signed it, supported it. We all came together in March to say that every working class adult in this country would get $1,200 and their kids would get $500. So you got a husband and wife and two kids, that's 3,400 bucks. Maybe they could use that money to pay a couple of months rent, buy some food, go to the doctor. We're looking at a horrible pandemic now and you got 90 million people who are uninsured or underinsured. That's all we are asking is to do what we unanimously did in March. And if I have anything to say about it, and I guess I do, we're not going to go home for the Christmas holidays unless we make sure that we provide for the millions of families in this country who are suffering. And with that, I would yield to Senator Holling. This is a very simple thing that we're talking about, and I can boil it down really easily. If the Senate of the United States can find hundreds of billions of dollars to give to big government and big business, surely it can find some relief for working families and working individuals. And I would just submit to you that it is working families and working people who should be first in line 
for COVID relief, not last. And that is why the amendment that Senator Sanders and I have proposed is so common sense. $1,200 for individuals, $2,400 for families, $500 for every child. And as Senator Sanders rightly says, every member of this body has voted yes in favor of this relief before. What's more, I can't figure out who exactly is opposed to it. The President of the United States has said that he is in favor of direct assistance. I thank the Majority Leader for his own support for direct assistance. The Speaker of the House has said that she is in favor of direct assistance, and that is why there is no reason why this body should leave next week before we vote on and approve direct assistance to working families. Yeah, so this, this Josh Hawley guy, I, I really don't know that much about him. I know that he's referenced frequently by Crystal and Sager over on The Hill Rising, a show that gets a, a significant amount of critique uh, from the left generally. Um, some of it warranted, I think. Some of it not. I don't know much about this guy, but they talk about him as a populist, which there are left-wing populists like Bernie, and there are allegedly right-wing populists, which a lot of people on the left argue is not a thing. It's just a fascist um, pretending, I guess. So I think that's what uh, some leftists would would argue uh, about a, a right-wing populist, which I think is what Hawley is. Um, again, don't don't know much about him. Did quickly look up his voting record. So he voted against uh, temporary fund federal government and renew Patriot Act. So he, he voted against renewing the Patriot Act, which that, that's good. Um, voted against, you know, convicting President Trump of contempt of Congress, which probably, no, no, not good. But I don't exactly know what the extent of those were. Uh, voted in favor of banning abortion after 20 weeks. That was earlier this year. Um, ban abortion after 20 weeks. So, you know, I mean... Not not trying to say that what he's doing here with Bernie is not good and something that uh, Bernie should work with him on because it seems like they're the only they're the only two people uh, talking rationally right now and the only ones who seem willing to stand up. Like I mean, I'll I will look this up right now. But like, where's Elizabeth? How is how is this not something that Bernie and Elizabeth Warren are both working on right now? Like what what is that? How is that not the case? Where is she? Maybe maybe she's here and I'm just not seeing it, but. That should be pretty telling, right? That the his his only ally in the Senate right now is this right winger who is speaking sense when it relates to this particular issue, which is also an indication of like the level of disconnect. I don't even know if disconnect is the right word, but like just unwillingness to represent the people and you know desire to bend over backwards for corporate interests and uh, you know the perpetual upward transfer of wealth between both parties. So maybe we can read just a little bit more about this. This is from The Hill today. Sanders, a self-decribed Democratic Socialist who has made two unsuccessful runs for the Democratic Party's White House nod and has been around Washington since 1991. A little jab there. Hawley, 40 years old, made a meteoric rise to join the Senate in 2019 and is under the microscope as a potential 2024 presidential contender as he positions himself to try and take the mantle of being a conservative populist. You know, if Trump, if Trump could do it, I think this guy could. And I think that's a lot of what the left is a little bit worried about, that he will run like Trump did to the left of whatever Democrat is running next time around. And then is an even more effective kind of fascist than Trump. Because, yeah, he's ta he's talking about a stimulus bill and he, he knows what he's doing. Let's do away with the notion that Josh Hawley doesn't know what he's doing. He knows exactly what he's doing, <laughs> to quote little Marco Rubio. Before their current effort, they had never signed onto a bill sponsored by the other. According to tracking from congress.gov, Hawley votes for legislation backed by 
President Trump more than 85% of the time. There you go. Another mark against Lil Holly. The checks divide the checks divide the GOP caucus because of the cost. <laughs> we got to worry about those costs now. It's a big concern now. Critics argue it is more important that Congress provide a boost to unemployment benefits because those are targeted toward the jobless and unlikely to go into savings. As if giving everybody a little bit more savings wouldn't be a net positive for this fucking country that was on the brink of bankruptcy before a pandemic ravaged the country. What is it? The huge percentage, like 50, 60%, maybe even higher of Americans, two paychecks away from financial disaster or one emergency away from bankruptcy, like, you know, aka no savings. People don't have savings. Tied up in their push is a government funding bill that leadership could unveil as soon as Tuesday. Didn't see anything today. The bill will need to pass by Friday night in order to avoid a government shutdown. So the government is going to get shut down if they don't figure this shit out by Friday. It's getting shut down. Guaranteed. Trust me, I'm the guy that predicted that Joe Biden was going to drop out in July of 2019. All right, so I casted some doubt on Warren. Um, This is from December 8th last week. Elizabeth Warren and Ed Markey urged fellow Senate Democrats to demand stimulus checks in COVID-19 relief bills. So in letter, they called the the recent Manchin-Romney proposal unacceptable, which I assume is the one that didn't have any stimulus. So I guess that speaks to uh, a bit to the bubble that I'm in, right? We're all in our own little bubbles. I'm sure there's people in a Warren bubble too. Um, But I haven't, you know, heard anything about that. But that's because I'm following all burners and they're not going to say something nice about Elizabeth Warren. Whether that's fair or not, you could ask the same question about the way that she acted in the primary. So whatever. Uh, So good for her. She's pushing for a stimulus bill. But did she say we're not going to go home for Christmas if it doesn't get passed? Well, maybe she did. Just search the word Christmas is not mentioned in here. I said Bernie's trying to cancel Christmas, but I don't think Liz is even talking about it. Mm -hmm. Says something. I don't know what it says, but it says something. So in, in some uh, Georgian news, I, don't, I guess it's news, it's, it's something that happened eight years ago, but uh, this guy, Nathan Brand on Twitter, which uh, looking him up, he is the comms director for the Republican Senate, the senators and the Republican senators, whatever. The NRSC, the National Republican Senate, uh, says the Senate Majority, National Republican Sen- Senatorial Committee. So he's the comms director for that. And he tweets this new uncovered video. Democrat Raphael Warnock called GOP senators gangsters and thugs trying to kill children for cutting taxes for working class families. Yeah, that's that's why he called them that. But uh, here's the video. While others were sleeping, members of the United States Senate declared war, launched a vicious and evil attack on the most vulnerable people in America. Herod is on the loose. Herod is a cynical politician who's willing to kill children and kill the children's health program in order to preserve his own wealth and his own power. Hope is in the air, but Herod is on the loose. The hopes and the fears of all the years have met in V tonight. And so on Friday night, the United States Senate decided by a slim majority to pick the pockets of the poor, the sick, the old, and the yet unborn in order to line the pockets of the ultra-rich. Don't tell me about gangsters and thugs on the streets. There are more gangsters and thugs in Washington, D.C., in the Capitol than there are. God damn. 
<laughs> He's vibing up there. A bunch of. Uh, appreciate that just on a on a performance level. I mean, it's uh, you don't get to be pastor of of the Ebenezer Baptist Church, MLK's own church, without being fire on the mic. Where was that guy at that debate last week? I want that guy. That's the guy that needs to show up against radical Kelly Leffler. That's what I want to see. What did he call him? Gangsters and thugs trying to kill children. I love this for a lot of reasons. Uh, one, because, obvi- you know, this is a Republican that posted this, so he's t- trying to do some uh, smearing, scare tactics, whatever. Like, can you believe that he's calling Republicans gangsters and thugs trying to kill children? That's, that's what we do. We call Democrats gangsters and thugs who kill children with abortion. That's the best part, is that they can't complain about a politician, which at this point, he's not even a politician, he's a pastor. So he's disconnected from politics to a certain extent. There's a there's a political uh, there's a political aspect to being any sort of public speaking figure, if we're being honest. But for <laughs> but for him to to go after them for uh, for killing children, born and unborn, it's pretty pretty uh, awesome because that is that's just the, the classic right wing Republican Christian conservative fundamentalist. Like they're killing babies. We're gonna protest outside of abortion clinics for. 50 years and continue to lose and just be absolutely frothing at the mouth. So he uses that against them. And I appreciate that. And from what I, from what I understand, I don't, I don't think there's been any statement from the campaign and I don't think there should be other than to say, uh, yeah, yeah. He stands by it and he says the same about the current occupant in the Senate, David Perdue, Kelly Leffler, both of them, gangsters and thugs killing 300,000 Americans as of today, 300,000 we hit deaths could have been prevented if not for people like David Perdue and Kelly Leffler who have profited during that same time. So I'm not sure if they are doing another debate, but I want to see this guy. I want to see that guy right there going against Kelly Leffler, not whatever that was last week. That kind of just like dude just playing just playing the talking points. It wasn't wasn't great. I want to see that. This this is what people want to vote for. And also uh People, people complaining about what he has to say here. Um, he's crushing in that room. Uh, I'm getting the vibe I'm getting from Republicans complaining about this, about how terrible this is. What he's saying as people are cheering and excited, and you know he's getting a he has a stop. He's got because people are applauding. He's holding for applause. He's crushing. That's like people in the comments under like a stand up a stand up clip where the person is crushing. You know, like this isn't funny at all. It's like well those. Those couple thousand people, those couple hundred people in the comedy club, they they thought it was pretty great. Could you say that about literally anything that you've done? So, uh, so just love that aspect of it too. So it looks like Warnock has requested additional debates, but there there are none scheduled yet. So we will see. Stay tuned. So some audio leaked. I guess leaked is the right word to use here. I, I don't use that in a negative context. Uh, some audio leaked from a. Me, a, a meeting that happened amongst Joe Biden and Kamala Harris and some certain civil rights leaders. I don't know exactly the context that it happened. I've, I've heard the audio clips, but I've got this article open. I'm going to read it. Um, so here we go. Inside Biden's meeting with civil rights leaders. In a recording obtained by The Intercept, Biden was unenthusiastic about executive action and warned against police reform before Georgia's Senate runoffs. So before I dive in, um, I mean, I'll, I will play the clips here uh, where it makes sense as I'm reading through this, but, um, it's, it's bad. It's not surprising if, if you've heard any of the clips of Joe Biden from over the years, you know, talking about social security, talking about, uh, not wanting his kids to be raised in a quote unquote 
racial jungle um, and all the all the horrific things he said uh, as it relates to the 94 crime bill. It doesn't matter whether or not they were deprived as a youth. It doesn't matter or not whether or not they had no background that enabled them to have to uh, become uh, uh, social uh, become socialized into the fabric of society. It doesn't matter whether or not they're the victims of society. The end result is they're about to knock my mother on the head with a lead pipe, shoot my sister, beat up my wife, take on my sons. So I don't want to ask what made them do this. They must be taken off the street. That's number one. There's a consensus on that. Unless we do something about that cadre of young people Tens of thousands of them, born out of wedlock, without parents, without supervision, without any structure, without any conscience developing, because they literally, I yield myself three more minutes, because they literally have not been socialized, they literally have not had an opportunity. We should focus on them now. If we don't, they will or a portion of them will become the predators 15 years from now. And Madam President, we have predators on our streets that society has in fact, in part because of its neglect, created. Again, it does not mean because we created them that we somehow forgive them or do not take them out of society to protect my family and yours from them. They are beyond the pale, many of those people. Um, but it, you know, if, if you buy if you buy the the narrative and the the party talking points that Joe Biden's just this nice guy, you know he's um he's reasonable. He's like a grandpa, basically. You know um he it's even kind of charming that he's a little bit losing his mind, right? Like he's just it's Uncle Joe, good old Uncle Joe. You know he's just a decent guy. He's just inherently decent. Um, so you think maybe maybe he's not that person anymore that that he was, you know that that kind of nasty dude. Uh, from from the 90s and, and earlier on. Um, and then you hear audio that was from yesterday when I heard it. This was about a week ago now, but it's audio from yesterday and him being just as nasty as he was in those videos. And you're like, oh, we, even someone like me who has, who has been a staunch opponent of this guy. Uh, wow. So here we go. Democrats in the House, Senate, and around the country have been urging President-elected Joe Biden to use the maximum amount of executive authority available to him in order to grow the economy, expand civil rights, protect the climate, and otherwise implement the agenda he ran on, despite the expected obstruction from a Republican Senate. On Tuesday, that's last Tuesday, a group of civil rights leaders urged him to privately take a slew, sorry, on Tuesday, this is like a week, over a week ago, a group of civil rights leaders urged him privately to take a slew of executive actions during a two-hour virtual meeting. And that's the private two-hour virtual meeting for which you're about to hear some audio clips. Uh, while Biden didn't close the door to anything specific, he was far from enthusiastic about the idea of using executive action. The recording of the virtual meeting attained, attended by Biden, Vice President-elect Kamala Harris, and civil rights leaders was obtained by The Intercept. So The Intercept got it and they posted it because The Intercept, good shit. Uh, the eg excerpts from it can be heard in this week's deconstructed podcast. And you know what? We're not, you know, stop, stop. We're hang on hit stop. We're not promoting other podcasts on this podcast. I've got few enough listeners as it is, but listen to deconstructed. It's pretty good. Ryan Grimm, top notch. I, not, not the way that like the, the good, the not, Oh God. Oh God. You can't, you can't do that in these days. Not the way that you think it is. It's the, it's the, it's the racist one. Not, uh, no good shit. All right. So 
Uh, I'm going to play the audio. And so there's some things that I'm going to be able to do by executive order. I'm not going to hesitate to do it. But what I'm not going to do is I'm not going to do what used to, Vanita, you probably used to get angry with me during the debates when you'd have some of the people you were supporting said, on day one, I'm going to executive order to do this. Not within the constitutional authority. I am not going to violate the Constitution. First of all, absolutely not against the Constitution. Let's just make that clear. If it was against the Constitution, it wouldn't be used so prevalently. Obama used it sometimes. Was that unconstitutional? What are you talking about? Executive authority that my progressive friends talk about is way beyond the bounds. And as one of you said, maybe you, Reverend Al, whether it's far left or far right, there is a Constitution. It's our only hope, our only hope. And the way to deal with it is where I have executive authority, I will use it to undo every single damn thing this guy has done by executive authority. But I'm not going to exercise executive authority where it's questioned, where I can come along and say, I can do away with assault weapons. There's no executive authority to do any of that. And no one's fought harder to get rid of assault weapons than me, me. But you can't do it by executive order. If you do that, next guy comes along and says, well, guess what? By executive order, I guess everybody can own machine guns again. Okay, that actually was not the clip that I was thinking was going to play, but I'll, I'll find it in a second. But I mean, can you listen to his tone there? Can you imagine the kind of outrage, 24-hour outrage from, you know, from the cable news cycle there would be if Bernie Sanders was caught on leaked audio talking that way to civil rights leaders. First of all, you wouldn't you wouldn't hear that. But he's just so I mean, how dare you? How dare you? And you know what? I actually I do want to find that clip because that's that's not a, a great one because you know per, I I don't personally think that he should um, use an executive order to ban assault weapons either. But we that's that's a whole different issue. I want to find that. I want to find that clip that I was thinking of. Here's audio from the Hill. A lot of people in our community are getting a little anxious because they are not seeing enough of the progress they thought they would have seen at this point. Let's not disappoint them, and let's not get to a place where voters in Georgia begin to second guess. Okay, let me respond. I, I, I got. I got to go. Let me respond. There's a lot to respond to here. Let's get something straight. You shouldn't be disappointed. What I've done so far is more than anybody else has done this far. Okay. I did enough. What more do you Cretans want from me? How dare you demand more from me? I did everything. I did everything. I'm the one that can. I'm the guy. I'm the guy that filled those private prisons. How much more do you want me to do? God damn it. Number one. Number two. I mean what I say when I say it. I mean what I say when I say it. I mean it. what I say when I say it. I mean what I say when I say it. When I say I don't want my kids growing up in a racial jungle, I mean it. I what I mean what I say and I say what I mean. I'm the only person who's ever run on three platforms that I was told could not possibly win the election, and I never ceased from it. One was on restoring the soul of this country because of what I saw happen in Charlottesville. That was it. No one else was talking about it. The words of presidents matter. Nobody else, no progressive, was talking about it. I did. Everyone else was too cowardly to run on a specific platform like restoring the soul of this country. Everyone said, I couldn't do it. They said, you'll never do it. That's too radical. Restoring, restoring the soul of the country. You're out of your mind, Joe. That's what they said. I'm the only guy who would do it. It was me. I was the only one calling for progress. I beat the socialist. No one else was calling for any of this stuff because nobody was quite as vague 
as A number one. But I mean, that's it's just amazing that you're you're on a call with civil rights leaders to 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 hear from them to say, hey, what can we do to be an ally in your movements? And they say, hey, here's something you can do. And he said, hey, I didn't mean actually give me something to do. I wanted to have this call so we could say we had the call and that's it. We didn't want there to be any action items at the end of it. We won. Game over. It's it's really, I mean, even after hearing the kind of horrific shit he said in the past, it to hear him with this week, just that tone, even if he was saying nice stuff, that tone is just so condescending and Trumpian, dare I say. People have been losing their minds the past four years the way Trump talks to reporters, talks to reporters a lot like that. How How is this? In fact, that's worse because, you know, a good ma- amount of those reporters are, you know, just trying to, they're just trying to, to barb him. They're working for outlets owned by some of the worst people on earth. These folks are civil rights leaders. And this is, if this, this is the, this is the most progressive guy. This is the most progressive president in history. Self-proclaimed. And this is how he talks to civil rights leaders. I don't know. I don't, I don't have an end to this segment, but you know, just let, let that sit there because that's what we have to look forward to. So I guess this is a pretty good transition into this last thing I want to talk about. To a certain extent, for him to, to lash out like that makes you think that, uh, you know, he's he's clearly faced some some cognitive decline. I don't again, I don't say any of this stuff with uh, with malice. I have I have uh, dementia runs in my family. So not uh, not not something that I am talking down on. It's just a fact of life. And when you've got so many uh, incredibly old people in controls of the levers of power, it's a little disconcerting. I think Joe Biden is the oldest president in history. He's older than Trump. He's older than Trump, and he's becoming president now. Um, so here's here's the New Yorker. Everyone was uh, talking about this last week, and I think we're I think we're going to see some more about this moving forward because we do have a lot of 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 very elderly statesmen, and this I think is a lot more prevalent than uh, a lot of us are willing to admit. Dianne Feinstein's missteps raise a painful age question among Senate Democrats. Again, this is from The New Yorker. In a hearing on November 17th, Dianne Feinstein, the senior Democrat on the Senate Judiciary Committee, who at 87 is the oldest member of the Senate, grilled a witness. Reading from a sheaf of prepared papers, she she asked Jack Dorsey, the CEO of Twitter, they probably had to explain to her what Twitter is, whether his company was doing enough to stem the spread of disinformation. Elaborating, she read in full a tweet that President Trump had disseminated on November 7th, falsely claiming to have won the presidential election. She then asked Dorsey if Twitter's labeling of the tweet as disputed had adequately alerted readers to what to that it was a bald lie. It was a good question. Feinstein seemed sharp and focused. For decades, she's been the epitome of a female trailblazer in Washington, always hyper-prepared. So prepared, going into a pandemic that she sold a bunch of stock based on some tips she received. Bipartisan, bipartisan fucking over of America. But this time, after Dorsey responded, Feinstein asked him the same question again, reading it word for word, along with the Trump tweet. Her inflection was eerily identical. Feinstein looked and sounded just as authoritative, seemingly registering no awareness that she was repeating herself verbatim. Dorsey graciously answered the question all over again. Oh, Dorsey doesn't get the same accolades for delivering his response in the exact same way? Typical liberal media. <laughs> Social media was less polite. 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 
A conservative website soon posted a clip of the humiliating moment on YouTube under the headline, Senator Feinstein just asked the same question twice and didn't realize she did it. I actually didn't see this. It's sad. I don't know. I don't even want to see it. It's like, it's sad. Even though she is a despicable human being, uh, I don't want to see, I don't want to see that. Um, okay. I don't, I don't know if I want to read all this. I wanted to talk about the specifics because something leaked from her office. All right, here we go. Some former Feinstein aides insist that rumors of her cognitive decline have been exaggerated and that video clips taken out of context can make almost anyone look foolish, especially when you repeat yourself verbatim immediately after you say it the first time. They also bridle at singling out her condition because declining male senators, including Strom Thurmond of South Carolina and Robert Byrd of West Virginia, were widely known by the end of their careers to be non-composmentists. That's some... Uh, Latin, and I don't learn dead languages or or living ones for that matter. Quote, for his last 10 years, Strom Thurmond didn't know if he was on foot or on horseback, one former Senate aide told me. <laughs> Is that supposed to make us feel better about <laughs> what the hell? The the no, the noted segregationist Strom Thurmond uh, didn't know whether he was on foot or horseback, and therefore it's actually sexist to suggest that Senator Feinstein is out of her mind, Stein. Uh, what? Okay. Establishment Democrats, am I right? In contrast, one former aide of, to Feinstein argues that even if her faculties are diminished, quote, she's still smarter and quicker than at least a third of the other members. Oh, boy. <laughs> Again, that doesn't say about her what you think it does. Uh, says a lot about the U.S. government. But here we go. Many others familiar with Feinstein's situation describe her as seriously struggling and say it has been evident for several years. Speaking on background and with respect for her accomplished career, they say her short-term memory has grown so poor that she often forgets she has been briefed on a topic, accusing her staff of failing to do so just after they have. They describe Feinstein as forgetting what she's said and getting upset when she can't keep up. One aide to the senator described what he called a kabuki meeting in which Feinstein's staff tried to steer her through a proposed piece of legislation that she protested was, quote, just words, which, quote, make no sense. I don't know what that means. Play us out. What does that mean? That doesn't mean anything. Does anybody know, know what I'm referencing, Bill O'Reilly? To what, is it, what the hell does that mean to play us out? I'll do it live. Fuck it. Oh, I'm stuck on the chair. This, this sweater. Feinstein's staff has said that sometimes she seems herself, and other times, unreachable. Quote, the staff is in such a bad position, they have to defend her and make her seem normal. As the ranking Democrat, Feinstein ordinarily would be expected to run the party's strategy on issues of major national importance, including judicial nominations. Instead, the committee has been hamstrung and disorganized. Quote, other members were, tr were constantly trying to go around her because, as chair, she didn't want to do anything. And she also didn't want them doing anything, the former Senate staffer said. A current aide to a different Democratic senator observed, sadly, she's an incredibly effective human being, but there's a definitely been deterioration in the last year. She's in a very different mode now. Tensions began erupting in the summer 2018 during Brett Kavanaugh's Supreme Court confirmation hearings when the other Democrats on the committee bel belatedly learned that Feinstein's office had sat on Christine Blasey Ford's allegation that Kavanaugh had sexually assaulted her when they were in high school instead of immediately alerting them or the FBI. Ford had demanded that Feinstein keep the explosive charge confidential, but inevitably word of it leaked elsewhere to the media, triggering a, triggering a second round of circus-like hearings that angered all sides. The internal criticism grew even more intense this fall over Feinstein's handling of Amy Coney Barrett. Feinstein had 
bungled a question about abortion during Barrett's 2017 appeals court confirmation hearing, provoking conservative indignation by casting it clumsily as a question about Barrett's extreme religious beliefs. Quote, dogma and dogma and law are two different things, Feinstein observed. The dogma lives loudly in you, and that's a concern. The backlash over the question effectively indemnified Barrett from any further questions about how her faith affected her judicial rulings. And of course, that line about how you can't criticize someone's religion only applies to Republicans. If it's a Democrat, like Raphael Warnock, you can attack his religion all you want. By the end of the confirmation hearings, public opinion polls showed more support for Barrett than before they began. Yikes. Progressive advocacy groups demanded that Feinstein step aside. Elise Hogue, the president of the reproductive rights group Narrow Pro-Choice America, issued a statement accusing her of having failed to make clear that Barrett post a posed a grave threat to every freedom and right we hold dear. Instead, Hoag said Feinstein had offered an appearance of credibility to the proceedings that is wildly out of step with the American people. As such, we believe the committee needs new leadership. And uh, don't forget, during those hearings, she was seen giving Lindsey Graham a hug during COVID. Here's what I was looking for. This was being shared under some of some people sharing that story. This is from Vox in 2017. Headline, a pharmacist says he has filled Alzheimer's prescriptions for members of Congress. They're making the highest laws of the land, and they might not even remember what happened yesterday. <laughs> Sounds a little bit like what we were just talking about. Aaron Mershon at Stat News recently spent some time shadowing the pharmacist who provides prescription jug drugs to many members of Congress. <laughs> Seem, no. All right. Keep your mouth shut, pharmacist. It's none of this damn news person's business what the most powerful people in the world are putting into their bodies. Here's a quote from the story that woman did. Mike Kim, the reserved pharmacist turned owner of the pharmacy, said he has gotten used to knowing the most sensitive details about some of the most famous people in Washington. At first, it's cool. Then you realize I'm filling some drugs that are for some pretty serious health problems as well. And these are the people that are running the country, Kim said, listing treatments for conditions like diabetes and Alzheimer's. It makes you think, makes you kind of sit back and say, wow, they're making the highest laws of the land and they might not even remember what happened yesterday. The current Congress is among the oldest in history, and more than half of the senators running for re-election in 2018 will be over 65. The average age of the House of Representatives is 57, and the average age in the Senate is 61. The pharmacist doesn't appear to have violated any patient privacy laws. Well, that's good. Um, but yeah, I mean, I just wanted to cap off that story with uh, that insane story. Like, okay, Feinstein's definitely one of them. Um, I mean, Biden probably wasn't, wasn't included in this, but you know, he's taking some shit. Uh, some other people have like suggested that maybe McConnell too. Uh, he had those bruises on his hand, which I don't think is necessarily related directly to to this particular part of the story. But um, I mean, the fact that he's extra stubborn, even more so it seems now than than he has been in the past, could speak to that. It certainly could speak to that. Uh, this is all speculation. I don't know what the hell I'm talking about. I'm just reading articles into a microphone. Okay. I guess I'll close on this for the week. Biden's been filling his cabinet, and I. I feel like I want to talk about all of that all at once, <laughs> even though maybe that's insane. He just named Pete Buttigieg today. That's why I was overhearing something earlier. Um, I don't, I don't feel like getting into it. I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to sully the good vibes we got going in this episode with talking about King Rat from South Bend. Uh, no, thank you. Let's, let's, let's talk about somebody else. Um, maybe, maybe I can uh, do one or two per episode or something. I don't know. This is, this is. You don't need to hear this. Are you even listening at this point? I mean, we're pretty deep into it. So Joe, Joe Biden nominated this guy to uh, run the USDA. 
Um, I, I never heard of the guy before, but it turns out farmers, you know, the people who will be affected the most by the USDA for the most part, um, farmers know who he is. This guy's name is Tom Vilsack. And uh, what you're about to hear is audio from a guy who was uh, used in, in, in Biden campaign ads for this election. Growing up on the farm was, uh, it was wonderful, really. My family has been farming in Wisconsin for 148 years. Yeah, dairy farming in Wisconsin are almost synonymous. They just fit. My daughter was working with me, and our plan was for her to eventually take over the family farm and keep it going for another generation. Just before Trump got elected, we, we had things looking pretty good. But then our price dropped 23%, and so... We were kind of lost without a solid market, so we decided to uh, liquidate the dairy business. Trump ended over 100 years of family farming for me and for my neighbors. His subsidies are trying to cover up what a mess he's made of farm policy. Trump um, cares about his bottom line and nothing else. Um, I don't think he cares at all what happens to the farmers. Joe Biden is the kind of leader you can count on. He'll unite people and get us back on track. I'm Joe Biden, and I approve this message. And so this guy, Jonathan Larson, uh, with TYT, okay. He works for TYT, Jonathan Larson. Uh, he says he says this, Paul Adams appeared in this Biden campaign ad shortly after he and I started talking about the failure of his dairy farm in Wisconsin. He says in the ad, Joe Biden is the kind of leader you can count on. I just asked him about Biden choosing Tom Vilsack to run the USDA. Vilsack ran the USDA under Obama. My article focused on lax USDA enforcement of organic rules that protect small farms like Paul's from industrial size rivals, but that didn't start with Trump. And when I asked Vilsack for an interview, he declined. Paul says the Biden campaign didn't discuss policy with him, and there's no indication that a Biden administration would dramatically reform America's organic regulations, either for consumers or to preserve the shrinking safe haven organic farmers have. The campaign didn't respond to TYT's request for comment. A spokesperson for, the, for Obama Agriculture Secretary Tom Vilsack, now a Biden surrogate on agriculture issues, said he was not immediately available for interview. As the article mentioned, the Biden campaign never discussed policy with Paul and couldn't find and I couldn't find anything about Biden policies that would protect small organic farms from big competitors marketing themselves as organic with the USDA's approval. Paul's farm failed under Trump, but it's fate. He just he just told me, quote, was already sealed under Obama Obama Vilsack administration. It took me three years to go bankrupt. Vilsack just quietly let big ag overrun those pesky little organic producers. Vilsack, as advocate for the people, fails. Vilsack as USDA, CEOs can be great at consolidating wealth at any cost. Did it before, and we'll do it again. Paul concludes his email this way, or simply, Vilsack sucks. So this guy that sh that appeared in an ad for, for Biden, effectively helping him get elected, uh, straight up says, this USDA guy is bullshit, and he's the reason that I lost my farm. I appeared in your ad to talk shit about what Trump has done to farms, but the reality is, I mean, Trump didn't help, but this is the guy that set the wheels into motion for my farm to go under. And you just, you're making him USDA, head of the USDA again. Thanks, Joe Biden. And that's going to do it for this week's episode. Please, uh, please hit the like button. If you're watching this, uh, you know, if you're not subscribed to the audio podcast, subscribe to that. I would appreciate it. Uh, like. Uh, rate and review on iTunes, uh, you know, give it, give it a thumbs up, whatever, whatever you got to do that really does help. Allegedly. I, I really don't know. They say it helps. And I, I think one person heard that on one podcast and then has just said it over and over and over again. You know, that's just how, that's how it works. 
one person said it and then it, it, it helps magically it helps um and hey listen if you if you like if you enjoy this please share it i know that it's so hard to share stuff on social media and half the time you post a link on like facebook or if you're on facebook and nothing you know nothing shows up but just share share it with a person um i, I don't i literally have no idea how to build an audience <laughs> i've been uh, i've been doing stand-up comedy for for almost 11 years i've, I've grown no following um i think i've alienated all of my friends uh, so i i don't know how to do this i'm just gonna try to release stuff that i that i enjoy um hopefully hopefully you like it too and if you do like it that's that's the best thing you can do is, is to share share what you see um yeah that that's that's pretty much it i appreciate anybody that has st stuck around this long um and uh when this episode as i've ended all of them uh this is the first full video one i guess uh how we end all of them with on a very serious note i ask everyone to uh take care of one another namaste Oh, oh, nice. 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 Nice.